piece of me? Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? Good morning, Vietnam! I love the smell of napalm in the morning. You're gonna need a bigger boat. I feel the need. The need for speed. I wish I knew how to quit you. Love means never having to say you're sorry. You do! You'll shoot your eye out, kid. What's up, film fans? Welcome to episode 280, and welcome to a new episode of the Cinnamon Movie Podcast. Thank you for listening. You are uh, in for a new episode. Zach, what's up? Hey, we're here. We're here to talk about a new movie. What about you? Not Not new, but a new conversation. How about that? Yeah, new conversation. And actually, this is a first-time watch for you, right? Yes, first time watch for Edward Scissorhands, and so it should, it'll be, it's going to be a fun conversation, so. Good, good. Well, I'm your host, Swan. Like I said, I'm joined with Zach, and you're listening to a new episode uh, of the Cinnamon Movie Podcast. Last week, Zach, we had a fun conversation about Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Um. So, Goodwill Hunting was, uh, was last week. You can check that out anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, you can also watch on demand anytime right here on Emissawa Productions YouTube channel. Um, you can hit us up on the socials, facebook.com forward slash the cinema movie podcast. The Instagram is all one word, the cinema movie podcast. X is at cinnamon405. And then the email is at cinnamon4 at C I N E M E N cinnamon921 at gmail.com. Um, I recently just was able to get back into emails because it has been a, it's been a hell of a week. So uh, I was locked out of emails for a few days, so I will get to some emails probably starting next week and we can do some during the, uh, good person episode or the first episode of February. So, but other than that, Zach, how, uh, how's your week been? Um, I'll be honest. It's been a little, it's a little choppy, but you know, we're on trying to get to smooth waters so you know it's just one of those things where a little inside baseball i'm maybe applying for a new job and it's just kind of hectic right now so it's just one of those it's just one of those you're juggling type weeks what about you man uh same thing we had a frozen icy tundra this past weekend and uh it was not fun what about you did you did you have a snow day or did you have to go out in it um they Let's see. Was that Monday, right? Monday, yeah. Yeah, we had, I we had to go in. Yep. Oof. Unfortunately, in the medical business, it doesn't. What time does did you leave your house? It. Dude, I left like at. We didn't have to go until ten, but I went ahead left early because you know people are idiots. Um, so I left about seven. Yeah, so it took me about an hour to get to work just with all the ice. So Oof. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was pretty bad. Um. But you know what did uh, you know what did spawn this past week with some news that we'll talk about is the Oscar nominations. Yes. Um, surprised. Discouraged. Um, positive, negative. What do you think? You want to go over the list, or do you want to just maybe hit like the top, the the main four <coughs> awards? Uh, we can talk about some of the stuff that happened. Uh, I think the biggest thing is snub wise. <coughs> No Margot Robbie and no Greta Gerwig for Barbie, and people are outraged by it, which I, I kind of agree. You know, 
Margot Robbie was excellent in that role, and Greta Gerwig, it took Greta Gerwig all her talent to get that movie off the ground. So I'm a little bummed she didn't get an Oscar nomination for Best Director. What do you think? Leo didn't get nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon, which I'm here and there on. Uh, I can't over... remember. Did De Niro get nominated? Yeah, he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. That's, that would probably be my guess why. Yeah. Leo didn't get nominated. Um, I bet he doesn't show up to the Oscars. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think he'll he'll support I think he'll support Marty and uh he's done a lot of promotion with Lily Gladstone, who got nominated for Best Actress. Um, so I don't know, man. It it's gonna be interesting. I think um I'll I'll just list them real quick. The best picture nominees are uh American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. And Oppenheimer got nominated for 13. Yeah, he, Oppenheimer was the big uh, the runaway with the nominations, which probably means they're not going to win nothing <laughs> the way that works. Um I think Nolan has it in for Best Director. I think Robert Downey Jr. is going to have it for Best Supporting Actor. The Best Actor um, nominations, Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. I think it's going to come down to either Cillian Murphy or Paul Giamatti, which are both... I thought both performances were really good, so... I think Oppenheimer has to win Best Picture. I think it has to sweep the Oscars. I think this is the year that the Oscars can finally look and be like, oh, here we have a movie that's nominated this many times, but it also dominated the box office. And it's actually a good movie. Yeah. No yeah. no offense to Anatomy of a Fall, but I heard it was an overrated two-and-a-half-hour courtroom drama that has good performances, but it's probably never going to be on anybody else's rewatchability list. Yeah, um, I've heard some good things about American Friction, but again, it's one of those things that it feels Isn't like it? it just had to be nominated because of maybe who who, who starred in it. Um, um, the Zone of Interest, which is A24, it's that it's not a Holocaust movie, but it's about a family that lives right next to a concentration camp. Um, I've heard I've heard technically it's a very beautiful looking movie, but again, is that something that's going to be watched ever? You know, Poor Things is obviously another one that um, I still need to see that one, but I'm, I don't know. I heard the Dark Horse is starting to win a lot of awards after the Golden Globes is uh, Past Lives. Which, I mean, we'll, we're going to talk about Past Lives here in a couple weeks. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, just to preview my thoughts, I thought that was a very good movie that's worthy of a Best Picture nomination. So, and and let's let's look at this. I found this this stat that I thought was pretty good. Only eleven movies have received thirteen Oscar nominations, and that's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Shakespeare in Love. Somebody was high when they nominated that for thirteen awards. Chicago. Here from he, from here to eternity, Force Gump, The Shape of Water, Mary Poppins, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Gone with the Wind, and Oppenheimer. And three or four of those movies out of that list won Best Picture. Yeah. So, 
I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting. I I think if I will say, I'm pretty adamant that I think this is Christopher Nolan's year finally to win Best Director, and the only thing. I'm looking at this list, and I, I I I agree with you. I think Oppenheimer is the front runner, but I could see Killers of the Flyer Moon still get still getting some momentum. Um, I don't think Poor Things will win. Uh, yeah, I the only thing I could see it outdoing it is Killers. So I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but. It's going to be interesting. I know that. Um, speaking of interesting, though, we are going to talk about some recent watches. Zach, do you have anything interesting you want to get off your list to maybe recommend anybody? Yeah. Uh, I watched the next two episodes that we're going to be talking about, or next two movies we're going to be talking about. A Good Person next week, and then the week after Casablanca. Um, I did the season finale of Reacher. I thought it was a really good season. Um, I think season three will come out sometime this year. It's already been greenlit and everything. And uh, The Bear started season two. <sighs> Damn. About halfway through. The last episode I saw was uh, Marcus going over to Copenhagen to cook with uh, uh, Will Poulter. Excellent, excellent episode. So yep. I think that's, to me, that's my favorite episode of this Bear season two. I've heard it gets better, so I'm excited about it. So I definitely check out the bear, check out Casablanca, which is on Max, and I think a good person is streaming somewhere. So, what about you? Uh, the bear season two. Um, I, just when you thought season one couldn't get any better, you're like, you're blown, right? Man. Yeah. So good. Um. I have a short list this week. I finally uh, finished my Planet of the Apes uh, franchise frenzy. It was it was a pretty fun rewatch. Um, I finally watched the holdover, Zach. I, I thought it was a good movie. Um, did I did I hype it up too much, or was it like appropriate? No, it was it was appropriate. I think the three main characters did really really well. Uh, I had a question though because I didn't look it up, but that's. Not Paul Giamatti's real lazy eye, right? <laughs> no, I think that's his real lazy eye. I never thought he had a lazy eye. I don't know. I'll have to. You might have to watch the special features and see if there's a <laughs> thing about the lazy eye. Um, I rewatched *To Kill a Mockingbird* and then I started *Monarch*. Uh, I watched season one. Or episode one, like way back in November, mm -hmm. I finally started picking it up again, and uh, it's not bad. I like how I, I just finally got this that Wyatt Russell plays Kurt Russell back in the fifties. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Yep. Um, if I had to recommend anything, the holdovers is on Peacock. Check out Apple TV Plus for Monarch, and then uh, Edward Scissorhands, I believe, is on Hulu and Max. Right. I know it's on Max. That's how I watched it. So yeah. So I think that should be fun, but um, we're we're getting in. I, I can't believe we're we're one episode away from ending January. Dude. I feel like I feel like January just started. This is how the year is going to go. Just prepare yourself. So, um, but our top five this week, we're talking our top five favorite movies that we're looking forward to for the year twenty twenty four. Um. It should be pretty fun. I think we're going to rapid fire through this top five. And uh, 
kind of just go from there. This was kind of a hard list to put together. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy this top five. Top five movies we're looking forward to for the year 2024. Um, I'll go through my just two honorable mentions. The Fall Guy, Ryan Gosling. Yeah. And uh, Twisters. I didn't realize that the director of Twisters is the same director of Minari. Yeah. So I feel like the cinematography for this movie is going to be phenomenal. So yep, what about you? Do you, have any, do you have any honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, I got four. Um, Horizon, an American saga, the Kirk, the Kevin Costner movie that he left Yellowstone to go do. It's like actually a two-part film. I think the first part comes out in June and the second part comes out in August. The Bike Riders, the the, the biker gang movie with Austin Butler looks pretty good. Uh, this should be in my top five, but Deadpool 3, there's just a part of my part of my brain thinks that's not coming out this year. I know Ryan Reynolds just came out today and said that they wrap filming. So, I mean, we'll see. And my official honorable mention is Ballerina, the John Wick spinoff with the uh, Ana de Armas. Uh, that looks, I, I don't know, dude. It's set, it's set in between chapter three and four. So uh, we'll, we'll see. More spinoffs. Yeah. Cause you know, that's all, that's all we can do anymore is spinoffs and prequels and remakes. Uh, I'll go through my five real quick. If you want to talk about any of them, we can. Um, number five, the new Ghostbusters movie. Mm. Number four, Beetlejuice 2. Speaking of Tim Burton. Yeah. Number three, A24's Civil War. Dude, that looks that looks so good. Yeah. That looks incredible. Number two, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Mm. And then number one is, hopefully no surprise, Joker Part 2. Which I just saw the yeah. trailer for today. Yep. Uh, my my five uh, number five Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, this should be higher, but I, because Matt Reeves is not involved in this, I'm a little anxious. It's from the director of the the Maze Runner film, so we'll see. <laughs> Rise Rise to me is the best Planet of the Apes movie, and Matt Reeves he didn't, didn't do that one. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, that's true. Uh, number four, uh, Furiosa, a Mad Max saga. I think uh, Fury Road. <laughs> Fury, I've really gotten to like Fury Road since I saw it. Um, on a, on a, on a Taylor Joy looks freaking badass in this. So I'm, I'm not and, a big, I'm not a big fan of Helmsworth being in it. Hemsworth, I think he'll that character will fit in that universe. I I don't know what exactly his role is, but we'll 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 find out. Uh, number three, no surprise, Twisters. Love the original. We'll see. I'm glad they finally came out and said this is this is actually a spiritual sequel. It's not like a direct sequel, which I kind of appreciate. So, so when you say to... when you say spiritual, though, you still mean same universe, just doesn't tie into the first one. Yeah. So I don't know if they'll address Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt and all that, but as long as they just use the word "the extreme," we'll we're good. good. <laughs> we're good as long as we get to do that. Uh, number two, Godzilla times Kong: The New Empire. 
anytime there's a God Godzilla movie that it's going to be in my list. And uh, number one, uh, Dune Part Two, which comes out here in about a here really about a month and a week. So we'll I'm I'm very anxious to see how that turns out. So see, I was excited for Godzilla times Kong, but when they put math into the title, I don't want to do math. <laughs> <laughs> what if the third movie is like Godzilla divided by Kong? What are we gonna do then? I need help. Who's gonna help me buy the movie ticket? And that's that's an interesting. Top five different movies. Um, obviously, there's still a whole bunch that we want to get to and and probably put in that list. But I mean, yeah. hell, we only we only have an hour to talk about Edward Scissorhands. Um, yeah, and I was gonna put Ghostbusters, Joker Part Two. Alien, there's a new Alien movie coming out this year, Romulus, so, yeah. This is like the year of, like, the sequels and part twos, and... Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah. insane. Did you see Wednesday is getting a physical media release? I did, yeah. So, what, did you, did you already pre-order it? No. Um, it looks interesting, but speaking of the man Tim Burton, today we're talking about Edward Scissorhands, which it's incredible to me that this movie turns... 34 this year um, had a release date December 7th 1990 with a budget of 20 million dollars it grossed a little over 86 million dollars at the box office with a 7.9 on IMDb 89% on Rotten Tomatoes the Metascore is 74% the solitary life of an artificial man who was incompletely constructed and has scissors for hands is unpended when he is taken in by a suburban family, starring Johnny Depp, Renona Ryder, Diane West, Anthony Michael Hall, Kathy Baker. Um, you also have the legendary Vincent Price in there, who plays the inventor. Um, Alan Arkin, written and directed by Tim Burton. Music by Danny Elfman. Man, this was your first time watch. You didn't get to check this out in the theaters. You went into it blind. Hopefully, what'd you think about it right after the movie was over? Uh, when credits hit, I liked it. I, 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 <clears throat> I think there is very much a sentimental feel about this movie. Um, from what I understand, uh, Tim Burton wrote it because he felt it just felt like an outsider, and this was kind of like the the character caricature of Edward Scissorhands is very much him in real life. I mean, hell, he has the same haircut as Edward Scissorhands. Um, I think the guy is obsessed with Frankenstein a little bit. Yeah, I, and that's the thing. I, I think you know, I don't, and that's the thing. I don't think anyone really talks about this. Is that this is just a really weird Tim Burton version of Frankenstein, yeah. which I I appreciated. And I think I think we'll get some hate mail. You might even want to take off the boxing gloves with this comment. But I think if this is his version of a Frankenstein movie, obviously he did Frank and Weenie, the short movie before this. Mm. But like if he wanted to compare this to Frankenstein and this was his masterpiece of a Frankenstein movie, like this to me blows the 30s Frankenstein movie out of the water. Hey, like, listen, just, listen, we will not. Just sitting there and watching this again and with the music, the love story. Yeah, Frankenstein has the creator, the inventor, and it's the monster. But, like, you can kind of picture Edward almost in the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, the outsiders kind of look at him like he could be the monster. He doesn't obviously kill a little girl in this movie like the, the monsters in Frankenstein. 
But like I think Tim Burton's weird version spinoff of a Frankenstein story is unmatched. And you know, a lot yeah. of people talk about Tim Burton's masterpiece maybe being um, the help of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, or uh, you know, I would even probably say Batman is 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 up there too. But like to me, after after just watching and digging into this movie, I really do think this is his like this is his. This, his gold standard as far as what he does as far as movies go. Yeah. <clears throat> I would definitely agree with that. I think, you know, this film, even if I didn't know who Tim, like, if I didn't know nothing about film at all, I would, this is so, like, the production design, the thematic gothic material of this movie is so Tim Burton. I mean, it's kind of like, I could easily pinpoint that without even knowing who Tim Burton was, to be honest. Um, the, the production design, like how the film kind of opens and it kind of, is that steady cam over like the little miniature of the town. I thought was really well done. It very, it fits his type of style as a filmmaker. Um, and when we get to the, the actual lair or castle or decrepit building of like where Edward lived until uh, uh, Peg, the mother kind of finds him. Um, it's very much in that wheelhouse of, like you said, like Frankenstein, where it's like the, the decrepit old mansion mansion and like how, uh, where he lives when he's not, you know, being sewn together or bolted together. So going into this movie as a fresh, as a fresh watch, not knowing, I don't know if you did your research before watching it or you just wanted it all fresh at once. Mm -hmm. but what did you think? Did you know he was like a real person or did you know he was just like a, uh, you know, I didn't expect him to be according to what it says. He's a humanoid or like a, I don't want to use, I don't want to use a Terminator. He's like a, uh, a robot, like a weird version of a robot. And I, I didn't expect that at all. I really thought he was just like a, a, a handicap. No, not a hand. Like he was, and he kind of he acts like this. He's just kind of like this feral, timid creature that he doesn't like a he doesn't grasshopper. Know. Yeah, <laughs> Hopper from A Bug's Life. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't know what he is, but he doesn't know how to conform with society. And I think that's the enjoyable part of this movie. And when he actually, the flip side, the the way Tim Burton kind of flips the Frankenstein story on his head on the head is. He's very much accepted in the community until when they think they when he when they think they they hurt when he thinks that they hurt Kim, and that really goes into like when all the when the townspeople goes into like the decrepit old uh, house on the hill. That's very much like the, the 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 angry mob with their pitchforks at the end of Frankenstein. So, yeah. what'd you think of the sole purpose of the housewives? And how they just start getting into everybody's business the moment Peg had Edward in the car. And uh I like I like that aspect of it. I don't know if there's like a a clear cut base, like is this set in the sixties, the fifties, but it felt very much like the fifties, the way like the color palette is on the town, how there is like all the different housewives getting together and gossiping about whatever's going on in the in the neighborhood. Um, Especially like, the, tele the television sets that they are watching. Yeah, they look very fifties, early sixties. So, 
But the only thing that kind of threw me off was, did they have that high-tech of security room in the 50s and 60s? Like the scene where he breaks into Jim's dad's parents' house? Or Jim's parents' house? Uh, well, maybe not that high-tech, but I mean, I, I'm sure they could, <clears throat> like... Maybe something in like a fifties military base. I mean, I could, I could but, probably see that. But I think that's one of the joys of the movie is you don't know. You know, maybe there's no really set time limit, um, especially when you have some of the the production factory scenes with Vincent Price. Speaking mm -hmm. of Vincent Price, um, <clears throat> again, we don't talk about Tim Burton a lot, but he's he's just he has that obsession with the fifties, with the sixties, and obviously with like Vincent Price. I think Vincent Price was an Edward. With Johnny Depp as well. Um, I so. can look that up, but I think I think that he's very. I think Vincent Price is very much. Um, <clears throat> I'm surprised he didn't do uh, more Tim Burton. Obviously, he didn't live very long after this. Um, I think this was his last movie, right? This was his last big film. Yeah, he he did another one in 1995, but this was his, like his first, like his last big film. Um, but I mean, just listen to some of these movies that he was in. He was in uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The he, he's very much a horror genre. House of Wax, The Fly, House on Haunted Hill, Return of the Fly, The Tingler, The Last Man on Earth. So, I mean, those films, that's already like B-horror movie legendary. And so the fact that Tim Burton was able to get him to play this like little inventor character that's way out of the wheelhouse for those type of films, I think is it fits for what that character, what the character of Edward Scissorhands is essentially. Did you like those flashback scenes of him like reading to him or him not being complete yet? Or, you know, the cookie process. Um, what about or, the scene he's, he's reading to him and then he's like, let's, let's do some, uh, some, some poets. Yeah. Some poetry. I think it, it, it humanizes Edward as that character where he, you know, clearly he he's not a human at all. So you have to put in like human characteristics and hit for him to work. Um, I think it is. It works on a filmmaking standpoint and as a writing standpoint where he was about to get real human hands or like. I don't know, jello hands or whatever, and the adventure dies and he never gets that opportunity to have that. Uh, going through some of the, seeing some of the opening scenes and just some of the get, seeing Edward finally come out into the, the the real world, you know, looking at the stuffed animals, poking the hole in the waterbed, <laughs> trying to put the clothes on. Um, for this being an hour forty five minute movie, it always flies by super fast for me. Did you did you have any any lagging experiences as far as like you know pacing? No, I, I, and this might just be like a, like a nitpick. I felt like, again, like you said, this movie is only an hour and 45 minutes, so they have to set it up. I feel like they set it up enough, but they don't. The love story between, um, Kim and Edward, like obviously he, she sees him as this, just this thing that she doesn't really know how to respond to. She's afraid of him essentially. Well, of course he's, he's sleeping in her bed when she comes home that night. <laughs> um, but I felt like there wasn't, I, I don't know. I, I know you've seen this more than me. So like, do you think that there was enough setup for the love story or do you think that it, there could have been just a little bit more tweaking to it? 
No, I think it was perfect as far as getting the two characters involved. It's one of those things where, like, you know, um, you can tell she's obviously afraid, and she uh, she doesn't understand really what he is. But I think it's at when he's at his most vulnerable, when Jim takes advantage of Edward, I think that's when she starts getting those feelings for him. And then she goes back and she's like, you knew that was his house. And he's like, yeah, I knew that was his house. But I did it anyway because I did it for you. I think yeah. that's the turntable. So it's, it's it's the dialogue between the two where she finally starts realizing that hey, he cares about me. He's falling for me. And then she mm -hmm. kind of starts slowly falling for him as well. So she realizes yeah. that he's always been innocent. And then it's this world and these people that are messing with him. He's not messing with anybody. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, probably the biggest dislike in the movie was the character of Jim. I, I, I thought Anthony Michael Hall was not very good in this, to be honest. I, I really thought really? at some point, I really thought he was going to say, evil dies tonight. At See, some point I, in the movie. I like Anthony Michael Hall in this movie. I don't like him in anything else and maybe the, maybe the Breakfast Club. But I think the character is so despicable and you, you despise and hate the character so much. Uh, but I think he, that's just, I think that's perfect, you know, he perfect acting by, by Anthony Michael Hall to make that character just so sleazy. And so you just hate him from the get go. Well, and it's Tim Burton messing with the audience. Cause obviously, you know, everyone knows Anthony Michael Hall is the nerdy kid from the breakfast club in this movie. He's the douchey, weird science. Yeah. He's the douchey jock in this movie. Yeah. Which I mean, just shows you, and there's some, there's some instance where you see Anthony Michael Hall in just a t-shirt and you're like, eh, he still kind of looks like that. He's, he, he, they make him seem a lot bigger than what he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, true. <clears throat> especially standing next to Johnny Depp. I think Johnny Depp is a little bit bigger than he is, but the way the camera angles are, it makes Anthony Michael Hall look like a bigger dumb jock. If you, like you said. Yeah. What do you think about the, um, I like the integration of Edward where he's just like, he's kind of cutting the hedges and like the, the, uh, the bushes and then he he jumps to cutting like the dog's hair and then he starts cutting like the women all the the housewife's hair um i found it kind of cliche cliche of like the housewife trying to hit on him and you know hit her trying to like corner him in like the abandoned salon shop it reminded me of the scene in um another tim burton movie uh, dark shadows when it was him where it was Johnny Depp and Eva Green, and it was just like, okay, you know, I kind of had to see like I wonder if that was like the the mirror the mirror scene of those two films. And you're talking about Kathy Baker, the one who plays Joyce, who is the one who's obviously too hands-on with everybody, including the uh the plumber. Yeah. Um what did you think of just the the way Tim Burton like wrote in the the funny sexuality between her and pretty much everybody else especially with like her her so-called experiences during the the haircut oh yeah <laughs> when she's having like the orgasmic moment when <laughs> he's cutting the hair yeah it it's <laughs> it's so like it's so corny in a way but in the same time it's just like yeah that fits in this movie for some in a weird way <laughs> Um, I I appreciated and liked, and I still think to this day, the dialogue for the father, um, played by Alan Arkin. Mm -hmm. I think he is probably 
besides your your main two characters, Bill, he's my favorite character in the whole movie. His his dialogue towards everything Edward does, towards the son, towards the mom, he is just uh, even though his his comedy is so dry and he's a dry character, yeah. I find it funny even when they go down and he offers he offers Edward lemonade, gets him sick and gets him drunk. <laughs> And then he gets sick. He gets sick the next day because Joyce mentions lemonade. I like how, and again, it goes back to the writing. I like how he has like the the alcoholic lemonade, and he kind of has like he just shuts down. <laughs> it's almost like a machine that just kind of shuts down a little bit. And I'm just like, and and like you said, Alan Arkin just keeps on talking. Like, you okay, son? He <laughs> Edward's like, <laughs> yeah. It's the comedy in this really. I'm surprised it works as well as it does, given it's just it's kind of like a, a gothic uh, family drama, essentially, at the end of the day. Um, yeah, like I, I found myself laughing at points. So what do you think of Bill? Did you did you like him as far as like, you know, the, the dad goes? He's he's kind of like the all American dad, like back in the day, what you would picture. He, he's he's the Brian Cranston character out of Malcolm in the Middle. Essentially, that's what he is. <laughs> He's just kind of so not, he's there, but he's just so non-present. It's just like, okay, dear, that's nice. He's just reading the paper. <laughs> it reminded me of his character. Wasn't he in uh, Little Miss Sunshine? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and it's yeah. so hard to think that how many good movies he was in as well. And I think we just lost him a few years ago. He died last year, man. June of yeah. last year. Wow. He was and then, yeah. And then let's talk about the score. You know, Danny Elfman and Tim Burton work almost in every movie together, but this has the same and I, I know like, oh, it's got the same tones and vibes as all his other movies. But this one in particular reminded me a lot of Batman Returns. Well, it's funny that you should mention that because that was his next movie after uh after he did Edward. He did this movie is sandwiched in between Batman and Batman Returns. So and the movie he did before, I think he, the movie he did before Batman was Beetlejuice. So yeah. you can definitely tell the trickling effect of what, how this movie kind of came to be. And like the very, the, the cinematography, definitely obviously the Danny, Danny Elfman soundtrack um, and pretty much the production, production design. It kind of, I think he took more influence from Beetlejuice than he did Batman in this, just because of the way the town is filmed. Um, but yeah, it's 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 very interesting. His filmography is it, is it crazy that we're sitting here in, in 2024 talking about a movie that's 34 years old about a director who did a movie like Beetlejuice in 1989, and then the same composer, the same director, and the same cinematographer is about to put out another movie next year, Beetlejuice Two, and you know when you sit there and just think of stuff like that. All these years later, it's just, it's kind of fun, honestly. Yeah. Um, let me just, just listen to these films real quick. I'm just going to go through his filmography because he's only directed like, I don't know, 12, 13 movies, which is kind of, it doesn't make sense, but it does in a way. Um, 1985, uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, <clears throat> Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, uh, your favorite Planet of the Apes movie, uh, 
big fish, which I I have never seen that, but it 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 really it, good. It definitely looks like Tim Burton. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Sweeney Todd, which is a lot of people say that's his masterpiece. Is Sweeney Todd? Watch it. <laughs> Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, Frankenweenie, Big Eyes, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, the Dumbo remake. And dude, that's his last. That's his last feature film was the Dumbo remake in 2019, and then he has uh, Beetlejuice two this year. Yeah, and of course he did. He worked on Wednesday in between that. So he he's produced a lot of movies, but yeah, as far as directing goes, that's why I'm like I I don't think he get he gets he gets the nod like you know he's a a director of his time, and people's like oh Tim Burton did it I have to go see it, but like when you look at his movies he. He doesn't have a terrible Rotten Tomato score. If no. you have to, if you look at one of them, and probably the worst one rating wise out of all of them is probably Planet of the Apes. But like he still has produced like watchable movies. Yeah, yeah. Even something like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Alice in Wonderland. You know, they're not. His remakes are almost just as good, if not better, than maybe the originals. Yeah, I. His his live action version of Dumbo, to me, I, I was never a big Dumbo fan, but I think it's, it's way better than the animated movie. I and think I it think has more emotion to it, yeah. And his live action Disney movie is probably one of the best live action Disney movies that they've put out. Yeah, I had I had Dumbo around here somewhere. I know I still have it. Um, animation wise, I mean, obviously, I think a lot of people say that. Um, even even though he didn't really direct it, but a, a Nightmare Before Christmas is his like go to. I like me personally. I like Frank and Weenie. I still that's like a I always watch that during Halloween season. So yeah, same here. But um, you know, going back to the movie, uh, did you did you feel did you think it was necessary to have the town turn on Edward, or do you think because I really enjoyed him interacting and like uh coming like not coming to terms um implementing himself amongst the the townspeople to the point where he becomes like a town celebrity and he's on like a a weird version of like a the johnny carson show um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah do you think that the do you think the turn was needed or do you think if he was going to do frankenstein you have to do that i think you had to do it for the story he was trying to tell I think the the whole reason was not to point out the flaws of Edward, but the whole point of the movie was to point out the flaws of the townsmen. Like they're un- they're unaccepting of him eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, like at the end of the, like at the end of the day, you know, it's it's not Edward putting bad habits on the townsmen; it's the townsmen putting bad habits on Edward. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's almost like we like you because of your abilities, but we don't like you because you're not we don't like you because you're not human. You're just you're different than us. You don't fit that mold of our neighborhood. Um, so at that point, yeah, I agree with you at, the, at that point, like we we got to exercise you out from uh, there's, society. There's rumors of a uh, Johnny Depp cameo in Beetlejuice 2. Mm hmm with the whole Amber Heard thing finally behind him and you know he's 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 should be back and just a matter of time and probably till he's back in the limelight 
Do you think it's necessary for Tim Burton to reach out and make Johnny Depp great again? I think he almost feel like he owes not maybe owes Johnny Depp something, but I feel like he should take it upon himself to, hey, let me be the first person to welcome him back into the limelight. I think it would make sense. Uh, just because you know, obviously, as many movies as they've done together, um, out of anybody, you know, I think we we talked about the directors that could probably save his career. I think Tim Burton is definitely top three just because of their work work relationship. Um, and I know, <laughs> I know going into a Tim Burton, Johnny Depp movie, I know I'm going to get something that's different. You know, maybe that's just because of his, uh, Tim Burton's directing style and uh, choices, but at least I know, Hey, Tim Burton is different from Tarantino. Tim Burton is different from Scorsese. Tim Burton's different from Spielberg. Uh, he has his own unique style. And of course they put hot topic into business because we you know we all we all appreciate that um speaking of spielberg i i wanted to bring this up earlier but i just now remembered it what do you think about drastic world four and, and development stop. i'm serious what stop. do you think no we get me hot on the collar today johnny and i was doing it's, pretty good it's green lit and it's an it's an early development well as long as i don't have fucking locusts in it we may be okay so who knows if you think Tim Burton will direct it, no. They bring back uh, T. Leon <laughs> and William H. Macy. <laughs> Shameless is done, so he's got he needs something to do. <laughs> it's um, like it's like Fargo, but with dinosaurs this time. Oh my god! Hey, <laughs> listen, I would <laughs> if they did like the Fargo TV show with Jur with Jurassic World, I'd be down for that. Or they do Planet of the Apes, but with the dinosaurs, a Philosopher starts saying no, no. <laughs> yeah, you joke. That's actually one of the best things in that movie. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I, what do you think about the end? You know, the idea that Kim is the one that kind of saves him and really kind of, kind of sets up the idea that he's dead, even though. Do you think he's abandoning? You think she's abandoning him, or do you think it's protection? It's protection. It's it's letting him be and live peacefully up there, telling the townsmen that he's dead, that Jim's mm -hmm. dead, that they killed each other. Um, it like think evens out. Yeah, I think I think the ending is perfect. I think once Jim is drunk and he's like, "Take me to her," and Edward saves. Um, the boy, you know, and oh, he scratches Kevin, Kevin, Kevin yeah. mm -hmm. and he scratches him up. And then, you know, it just goes by so fast. Edward runs up there and, you know, the, the ending is, is perfect, I think. And it almost looks like, hey, maybe she takes Edward's um, scissors and she kills Jim herself. Um, yeah. yeah. And then when he when he brings the gun up there, you're kind of like, whoa, you know, now he's got the upper hand. What if Jim kills him, you know? And, and I, I like I like how it plays out that they really are going to kill each other. I kind of thought that uh, Jim would accidentally kill Kim, and then it really does become a Frankenstein ending where the townspeople kind of burn the the whole castle to the ground. So you thought that was going to happen? Yeah, that's that's uh, or it could have been a Tarantino ending, and they all three kill each other. 
Yeah, because <laughs> I think you think every movie would be better if there was a Tarantino ending. <laughs> Edward Scissorfeet. Oh, dude, dude. You know those scissors would be on his toes. That that'd be his toes. Oh God. I did you like the ending? Yeah, I thought it was a sweet ending. I think, you know, the idea that they play with the idea of snow, how the town has never had snow before, but it was him like cutting up the the ice sculptures. Um I think the only problem with it was at the beginning i could clearly tell that that was winona winona rider and a whole bunch of makeup and old prosthetics so it wasn't it wasn't a big shock by the end of the movie where it was just like oh that was i, I was there when that happened so but that you know that's just me so i want to know how edward get all those big blocks of ice up in the castle at the end of the movie <laughs> you think he amazon primed that <laughs> That's the Burton cut. We'll never know. They'll never release the Burton cut of scissors, scissor, Edward Scissorhands. That is good. That is a good question because you know if you pay attention, there's no blocks of ice nowhere in that castle. So, no, that's, that's just how good his AC is. Yeah. Um, but overall, man, I, I for this to be a first time watch, and this movie's damn near thirty five years old, I. I enjoyed it. I mean, it it definitely fits the mold of other Tim Burton movies, um, but still has its own distinct style. If that if that makes sense, yeah, of course. Um, is this a movie that you think you could easily watch again, or maybe one day add to your own collection? Um, yeah, I would watch it again. I, I'd probably put some time in between my next watch. To be honest. Um, <sighs> I feel like my grade is going to f- not reflect the way I'm talking about this movie, but that's just when the movie was over. I was like, yeah, that's, that's where I stand on it. Essentially. Good. Well, when was the first guys... time you, when was the first time you saw this? Cause I don't Oof. know what you said. Ooh. Were you a kid when you watched it originally? I was probably five or six when I first saw this movie. Um, it's one of those movies that would just come on like cable and, um, always just being in indebted into watching Johnny Depp movies or um, Batman, Batman Returns, Nightmare Before Christmas. So this was always one of those five of his that I owned, no matter what kind of physical media collect I was collecting. It's one of those must-haves. Um, I'm surprised that there hasn't been some real nice anniversary edition or, I mean, hell, we're talking 34 years. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, the time with, I, to me, it's a timeless movie. I, I, I could never get bored watching this movie. Yeah. I, uh, I kind of agree with you just because of just like the, I don't know if I would call this a cult classic. Um, but it definitely I think, has I think its, its fans. I think, I think it's better than a cult classic because a cult classic at the term of a cult classic is it didn't make a lot of money when it came out and it didn't, it, it wasn't well received when it came out. This movie from the get go was, was loved by many was, was did great at the box office. So yeah. I, I don't know if I would put it in a cult classic. It's definitely got its fans. It's got its cult following. If you want to say that. Yeah. The only, the, the newest version of it is the 25th anniversary that came out uh, in 2015. 
Um, and it's like you can get it on Amazon for like ten bucks. But yeah, I did it ten years ago. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I'm I'm shocked that they haven't done like a maybe they'll do it for the 35th anniversary next year. Have like a 4K still book or something. Yeah. <clears throat> the yeah, the anniversary edition they put together for Sleepy Hollow was was fantastic. So uh let's do a favorite scene. Did you have a favorite scene or two from Edward Scissorhand? Uh favorite scene for me. I I really and obviously the movie hinges on it because if it did, if that doesn't work then it's you know you don't have a good movie. Um, I think the relationship, the steady build up relationship between uh, Kim and Edward, I thought worked really well. Um, <laughs> if I had to pick a like a scene per se, um, probably him cutting the dogs and then. <laughs> And then he slowly starts cutting the people's hair and it's just, everyone's just kind of like, wow, you're amazing at this. How have you, have you not slit, slit, slit no one's throat? And he just kind of has that look of like, I don't know. It just, I, it works. What about and you? to get the, to get the listeners, uh, you know, when, when Kim tells Edward to run with scissors in his hands, I just want to say we, we don't, uh, we don't condone that at all. Yeah, and this this isn't the prequel to Running with Scissors, the 2006 movie with Gwyneth Paltrow. This is not that. So, oh, dang it! Oh, you know what else was a good scene is the first time when Peg brings him to the house, and he's just kind of looking around, and he's not sure what what everything is. He's just kind of like he's like lost in a certain <laughs> way. My two year old had the same reaction whenever he first heard the phone ring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or when she explains to him, he's a bowling champion. You know, bowling? Have you heard of bowling? Like, Jesus, lady, he's got scissors for hands. Do you think he knows what bowling is? I like how uh, there's always a close-up of him trying to pick up, like, food or uh, uh, eating utensils or glasses. And it's just like, why are you giving him this? You know he can't pick that up. He's essentially a toddler. Yeah, really. Um, my favorite scene is is the the ethics conversation that Bill has with Edward, the right or wrong, or um, he talks to him about you know we uh, we don't have we we have faith in getting new drywall or drapes, but our confidence in you is kind of slowly you know going down. Or the ethics talk after he robs or breaks into Jim's dad's house. Um, anytime you really get to see Alan Arkin play the dad, I, I think he steals all those scenes he's in. I like the ending. Um, I like Jim's death. Uh, I like the scene where he just runs out of one of the, the housewives' house. Mm -hmm. And he's just standing at the, the edge of the street and he says, Kim! And then Jim picks her up and says, she's right here waiting for you. <laughs> um, uh, kind of a sweet moment. And it just, it, it goes, it harkens back to like the Frankenstein uh, thematic material of when he's, he's just by himself. At, at this point, he's just kind of been uh, pushed out of, society, of the, the neighborhood. And he's just sitting on the, the driveway. The dog comes up and sits next to him and he just sweetly kind of cuts the, the hair that's hanging in front of his eyes. It's just like, 
Yeah, why do you want to be mean to him? He's just, you know, he likes to cut hair. I don't like the scene where Kevin takes him to show and tell. Oh, yeah, and he he makes the little uh the thing out of the the pa- the uh the paper. Yep. Um Vincent Price, we we don't talk about him a lot. What would probably be your favorite Vincent Price scene? Honestly, probably because it sets up who that character is, is the death scene. You know, he's very excited to get him the actual hands for him and he doesn't get that opportunity. And it's almost kind of like a, a tragic lost father situation. So yeah. What about, what about you? Uh, going back to the scene where he's reading to him. First time watch Zach break everybody's heart. What are you uh, what are you giving Edward Scissorhands for your first time watch? Overall, good performances, great production design, the ability to take a classic like Frankenstein and just flip it on its head and do your own thing with it. Um, first time watch, I had fun with it. I didn't it didn't drag, it didn't linger. It it was the I think if this movie was two hours, I think I would have had more problems with it. The fact that it's hour and forty five really hour and 36 minutes and you're in and out. Um, I appreciate. So overall, I'm gonna give it a seven. I think it was a worthy, it was a worthy watch. And to be honest, when you said you want to do this, I was like, Ugh, so, but yeah, I, yeah, I had fun with it. I noticed you did have that, uh, that tone. Whenever I said Edward scissor hands, you look like you're just like done with it already. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Out of everything we talked about, the cinematography, the uh, the score with Danny Elfman, the scenes, the characters, the actors, the one thing we really didn't talk that much about, other than his revival, was Johnny Depp. And yeah. I think Johnny Depp playing Edward and having the emotions and the, the clueless looks on his face and the sadness, the happiness, at the end of the movie when Renona Ryder, Kim looks at him and says she that she loves him and cares for him and he says goodbye and you see the little his lip quivers and then he has the the watery eyes yeah. like dude that, that does it for me like that's that's how you can tell someone's doing good acting and and you you have a performance that lives like forever so to me edward scissorhand gets 10 um it's something i grew up on i'll continue to watch it pass it down so on and so forth but uh i think it's i think it's if you grew up in the early 90s and you've watched it all throughout the 90s, I think it's our version of Frankenstein. And I think he did the better job of the 1931s or 30s Frankenstein. So uh, I think it's a 10, hands down. And uh, nice. I think it was a fun conversation. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Because um, if you hated on it, I was going to have to unplug the monitor and this episode probably would have got canceled. No. Um, but it was, it was, it was fun. This came out this this came out the same year as a uh, Crybaby, yeah. So which Johnny Depp did not sing in that movie. He lip synced, and, and then he he turned around and sing sang in uh, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, so I don't understand what was going on with there. Yeah, but uh, Johnny, what do we got? What do we got for the audience next week? Next week is Zach's pick. Um, I got to watch this a few weeks ago, so the rewatch should be interesting. Next week we're gonna talk all about. A good person. Um, Florence Pugh, Morgan Freeman, um, 
you know, essentially I thought I didn't know what to expect for this movie. Um, but after watching it, I thought it was a it was a very, very good watch. So I'm going to be interested to see how the rewatchability lives up to it, um, especially with Morgan Freeman the last 10 years pretty much being um, just caught up in his own Morgan Freeman persona. I think this is probably one of the better performances he's had in quite some time. So, Yeah, I rewatched it uh, Monday, and that was the first rewatch since the theater. Um, yeah, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, should be a fun conversation. So if you guys want to check it out, I believe it is streaming on. I think it's on MGM Plus, which I didn't even know that was a thing. So, oh, let me look. Part of me thought it was on Hulu for a second, but let me look. Uh, yeah, MGM Plus. That's that's where you can see it. Um, and he, and then you can rent it for like five ninety nine on Apple TV or uh, yeah, yeah. So go check it out. Go rent it. A good person, um, Florence Pugh. And Morgan Freeman, we'll talk about it next week. Um, we'll also talk Super Bowl next week. We'll find out who's in the big game. And then we'll mention February is just right around the corner. Um, and episodes are moving to Sundays. Uh, and start, actually, oh, sorry, Johnny. Actually, if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it. You can watch a good person on there. Oh, really? For free? Yeah. If you have an Amazon Prime account, comes with a subscription. So, yeah, go Amazon, go go to Amazon Prime, check out a good person. Um, and then February, the as as February the, February the fourth, we will start streaming on Sundays live right here on Amy Swap Productions. So Sunday, February the fourth, we'll talk about Casablanca. Uh, Zach, this was also your pick, so you got two picks back-to-back. Why Casablanca right off the bat? Uh, Right off the bat, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I'll get into it uh, when we do the episode. Sunday, February 11th, uh, listen to us right after the big game. We will review Past Lives, which is being nominated for Best Picture. Sunday, February 18th. We talked 2023 sci-fi creation, The Creator. And then Sunday, February 25th, Killers of the Flyer Moon, which has Oscars all over it. Lily Gladstone being nominated for Best Actress. Scorsese nominated for Best Director. And then the movie itself being nominated for Best Picture. And Robert De Niro, Best Supporting Actor. So February's packed. One more episode of January next week. We talk a good person on another new episode of the Cinnamon Movie Podcast. One thing Edward Scissorhand can't, you think he can still do deuces? Peace. Maybe.